The problem I would see would be I'd talk to a salesperson a year or so ago. I go, how are you going to do for the year? Oh, okay, I got about 80%. Well, how are you going to get the other 20%? Well, I'm going to have to do some outbounding. Oh, how's that going for you? Now, I wrote somebody an email last week. I got to follow up on that. that. That's it. That's the scope of your outbounding. People hate the outbound. Why? Because they fear rejection. They don't want to get rejected. We all know you're only going to get three out of a hundred. So you've got to be okay for 97 no's. And not too many people have the fortitude for that. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. All right, everyone, we have a fantastic and fast-paced episode of the B2BMX podcast for you. It's just Alicia for today. Claudia is sadly on a deadline and is heads down in some work, but I'm thrilled because I had a chance to sit down with Skip Miller, who is the president of M3 Learning and author of Outbounding, Win New Customers with Outbound Sales and End Your Dependence on Inbound Leads. Skip has been around the block. He has helped a lot of different companies across industries from tech to HVAC and others really ramp up their sales and outbounding strategies. So we really wanted to get his take on the change that has been happening in the sales world, how that impacts outbounding strategies and what new channels and tactics are really rising to the top for him, especially uh, new tech and tools. So again, Skip has a very firm opinion on what sales teams should be doing to see success in 2021. So I think you'll get a lot of great tips and best practices from him. So let's dig in. Skip, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today on the pod. Great to have you. Oh, it's a super opportunity to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, honestly, I'm going to be frank. We don't have a lot of sales folks on this show, so really excited to get the other side as a marketer. (laughs) But let's get to some background first. I always love to hear origin stories, how people ended up in this space, because it's not something you really really think about, like, oh, I'm going to be in sales or I'm going to be in marketing. So you're the president of M3 Learning. You're an author and one of the top providers of sales trading in Silicon Valley. We're going to get into that later. But again, going back to the origin story, what inspired you to get into sales in the first place? How did we get here today? High school and college. I, I worked retail sales in a sporting goods at store and stuff and so on. And, and then took that from, you know, going behind the counter. It was a very little small sporting goods store in Cleveland, Ohio called Seasonal Sporting Goods. And then it was, well, why don't I go out and try to get high schools to buy uniforms and equipment from us. And the high schools were all buying from the big sporting goods stores. So I went after the junior highs, which have teams too. So, and no one was calling on them. So we, we made a really good niche of calling on these junior high schools and stuff to, and get their business. And it was just all of a sudden part of the DNA. And my, my oldest sister, Nancy, her husband, uh, Hank, my brother-in-law, was a salesperson. He sold for rights, trimming, and lacing. And it was just fascinating to watch him have the freedom he wanted to go where he wanted to go and didn't have to go into the office all the time and and work with other people and stuff. So it just kind of blossomed from there. So when I graduated from school, I looked for more of a a sales-oriented job and did an on-campus interview with a company called McDonnell Douglas, and they were going into a high-tech division, and that's kind of how it works. So um, 
probably Hank, my brother-in-law, and then the whole little sporting goods store thing growing out of that just got me into sales. Yeah. And, and I have to ask it, do you think that, you know, salespeople are just born? Like you, you just like naturally have those skill sets and, and you know, the mindset to sit, to sell effectively, or, or is it very much a learned thing? And we're probably going to dig into this as, as we go through our conversation, but off the bat, I mean, what's your take on that? Well, are marketers born? No, I mean, it, you know, they, they have a good personality. They'd be good in sales. Well, come on, it's not. people buy from people who they like and they trust, without a doubt. However, you control the process, you control the situation. So walking somebody through a buy sales process is a skill set rather than just, you know, glad handing, showing up, doing donut drops. I mean, route sales like that will we'll get you something. But there's skill sets involved, you know, making sure the customer feels like they've been heard, listening skill sets and stuff. So, yeah, part of it is a, a rapport thing. People buy from people who they like and they trust. But to graduate to the next level, it's pretty much based on skill sets. Yeah. Speaking of growth and expansion, I mean, obviously, over the years, you've acquired a very impressive roster of companies who have relied on you for sales training from Zoom to Apple, Google, Stripe. I mean, again, very long and impressive list. Um, but they all tend to revolve around that that tech focus. What about this space did you find most fascinating? And why did you kind of find yourself zeroing in on training and empowering this particular audience. Was there anything that gravitated you to it? Well, if you must know, we are a, a Goliath in the HVAC industry. We've trained okay. train air conditioning, carrier conditioning, Lennox. For some reason, that HVAC space loves us. Ugg Shoes has been a customer. Virgin Atlantic has been a customer. You know, I'm in Silicon Valley and, and you know, I worked at a company called DataQuest. They got bought by Gartner. So, you know, my background is technology per se. I, I sold technology, sold CAD CAM systems. So I've always kind of been around technology. And if I'm in, in the heart of Silicon Valley, I mean, the whole SaaS platform right now, you know, for the last 10 years, it has just grown. And as fast as it's grown, there's so much unknown. People are, I call it, at least the, the law of the zeros. A company in here in Silicon Valley, when there's zero revenue, right? You know, it's the founder only. They're doing anything to get the revenue. When they get to a million revenue, they hire the first salesperson. When they get to 10 million, they probably hire their first sales manager. When they get to 100 million, right? So that's the trick. Companies at 20, 30, 40 million are still trying to do the things they did at 10 million and not doing the things they need to be 100 million. So once you do this a number of times, I mean, we started with Tableau when there were 20 people. When we started with Zoom when there were three people. So when you start working with these companies, you see repetitive natures and then it just becomes you know a habit. So why are we here? Probably because geographically and it's the heart of, of technology, but it, it's been fun to look at the sales model in the HVAC industry or in airlines or in shoes. And it pretty much is similar across those boundaries. So we just love the space in, in SaaS just because there's such a proprietary of it here in Silicon Valley. No, that's, that's definitely helpful. And I'm glad you kind of brought up the similarities, but also some of the nuances when you go across different industries. So obviously we have a B2B focus, but within that, you know, tech is obviously a big uh, industry for us, but we also have financial services, you know, consultant types, healthcare. So we go pretty broad, but it seems like there are some pretty consistent characteristics, I guess you could say, of the buying process. It's getting very committee driven. Uh, buying cycles are sometimes a bit longer, but, but sometimes they're not. So if you're in a kind of 
break down, you know, any key points around how buying cycles and processes have changed, you know, the most significant changes, I guess you could say, like, how has that played into the methods and the and the trainings you provide to others? And again, I, I'm sure there's some nuance here. But if there are any, you know, key similarities, I think that may be good to call out. Yeah, over the years, I'm on a mission to destroy the term decision maker. Because I think there's two. Okay. And you can call them user buyer, fiscal buyer, executive buyer, too many buyers. So we just call it above and below the line. Where the below the line person is the person who's going to use what you're selling. Say you're selling some piece of software. This The, the, the manager or the director of finance or the manager of sales enablement or the whoever's going to use your stuff. They're going to select the vendor. They're going to want the demos and stuff. That's what we call the below the line buyer. Very important. The above the line buyer is the one that says, you know what? I've got a 22% churn rate in my organization. That's costing us $50 million a year. And what can we do to try to impact that $50 million problem? I don't care which vendor it is. I really don't. That's what I got Bob for. So I choose, I got these initiatives. We call them trains in the train station, but you got to go after two different value props. The biggest problem we see is we get involved with the below the line buyer. They want to talk about us. We want to talk about us. We're all talking about us, which is great. But then what we do is we go to the above the line buyer and go, what do you want from our below the line stuff? And the analogy we use is kids table and adult table. I come from five brothers and sisters, big family. And before COVID, we get together two, three times a year. There'd be like 50, 60 of us, a lot of people, so many people. You have a kid table and an adult table. And the kids loved it because they got to speak adult kid stuff. And the adults loved it because they didn't have to speak kid stuff. We train our people really on kid stuff, features and benefits and product knowledge, which is great. And then we ask them to go call into the executive suite above the line. Well, we just do an executive overview of the kid table, which is not effective. So great companies like the Zoom and the Googles and stuff and so on really have trained their salespeople and sales organizations, executives speak too. What does a CIO do? What does a CFO really do? What does a CRO do and how do they differ from a CSO? Those skill sets so they can speak at the ATL level. And what happens is if you really get involved with the ATL and they think you can make a debt in my $50 million problem, sales cycles are cut down and sales prices increase, the ASPs increase. The biggest difference we're seeing now with COVID is you can get to the ATL a lot faster. Before it's, you know, I have to go out there, fly out there for a meeting. We have to have a conference room. We have to get a day where, you know, you have a whole day to spend. And now the ATLs have no problem popping in for 10, 15 minutes on a Zoom call. So what are you doing to change your sales process? Because you can get to the ATL faster, which would mean more energy for your deal, a faster deal, and probably a bigger sales price. So those are some of the trends we're seeing. Okay, got it. Uh, sorry, sorry about that long. No, 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 it is good. And, and it kind of, you know, aligned nicely, I think, with an initial question I had around how, you know, the current climate has changed, you know, sales priorities, not just like from a business perspective, but like how are we empowering our teams to have better conversations, right? Because, you know, if you're part of a tech company, for instance, like you have your own goals and your own challenges that you may be dealing with due to instability, you know, the market changes, you know, anything like that. But then it also goes down to to the prospect level or the customer level, right? They have their own unique challenges that may be happening. So, I mean, how have the dynamics been changing from that perspective? I mean, I'm sure you're having so many conversations with sales teams and sales leaders right now. So, I mean, what's really keeping them up at night, I guess? Yeah, we, funny you should say that. We work with a company called Outsell. That's a, a market research company. 
and we were polling hundreds of VPs of sales, sales leaders, and asking them, you know, what keeps you awake at night? I mean, what, what do you, what, how is COVID affecting your compensation? How is it affecting your go-to-market? How is it affecting your, your sales strategies for 21? And it's been really a fun roller coaster to watch because initially at COVID, everything was like frozen. And then it was like, okay, what are we going to do? And boy, back in April, May, working from home was a huge challenge. Now in 21, it's, it's not even on the it's not even on the radar. What's the biggest challenge that we see from from the sales organization for 21? Getting getting new logos. There, there's no doubt about it. I mean, getting new logos within a major company. So we're in a big company in Division One. We've done nothing to go after Division Two or Three. Let's say you're, if you're going after like a Johnson and Johnson or, or something like that, without a doubt. And the problem is. We're used to getting inbound leads. We're used to going to trade shows and events. We're used to you know going you know, hall walking within a company, and, and those things aren't there. Um, you can't even really call somebody on the phone right now because you're not going through a switchboard. You have to know their cell phone. So it's really interesting on this whole getting new logos to keep the new business flow well and keep that pipeline early big has been challenging. And that's definitely the number one thing on the radar scope for most sales organizations. That's great. So I'm going to jump around a little bit. Um, I, I was going to ask you a little bit later on around, you know, how teams can better prioritize existing customers, because we, we've seen a very similar shift that, you know, winning new business, winning new logos was incredibly challenging at, at the height of the pandemic. So we saw a lot of tech companies, especially SaaS companies, really dig into their existing customer base, look for opportunities to land and expand. Whatever it took to get the money, whatever yeah. it took to make the number, they did. Yeah. There was more discounting. There was more going after current customers. There was no more emphasis on mitigating churn of current. You bet you, whatever it took to make the numbers, they yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So do you, how do you, how do you see this balance, I guess, shaking out as we get further into 2021? Are you, do you think we're going to be seeing a similar emphasis on like ABM type selling? You know, how, how do you see that, that balance shaking out, I guess? Again, it depends on the industry. Yeah, you're going to see a lot more new products, no doubt about it. And new products can be sold to current customers. We have existing relationships and you can make your number without a doubt. You don't have to go out finding new stuff. Other companies, you know, they're, they're going to be kind of nimble and they got to keep the new logo stream going. You know, it's all about market share, you know, and land expand is still going to be there. But the problem is land expand explode doesn't work because the people you land expand with, you don't explode with. So many companies are stuck with these footprints and they want to explode, but they're calling on the wrong people. They're calling on below the line people. So as you look at 21, the, the first question is, you know, are there new products coming out? We can sell to our current customers. And what's the focus on that? That's going to be a big chunk. But if you have to go after new logos, you know, people who are going after those new logos and prospecting and outbounding or whatever are doing a pretty terrible job. <laughs> it's it's just amazing. So that's where they can actually start looking at not just their cadences and sequences, but their messaging. If I read one more outbound email, hi, my name is, mm. what we do quickly is, that's an instant delete. And you would think people are smart enough not to do that. <laughs> No, they're still doing it. Yeah. And, and think about the emails you're getting. I get these LinkedIn. Hi, Skip. I'd love to you know, be a, a LinkedIn partner of yours. And quickly, here's what we do. No, you don't want to be a partner. You just want to sell me something. Right. I, I, I won't even <laughs> accept them. 
I mean, it's just hysterical. Yeah. So, so to the end, um, your your book Outbounding is fascinating because you're you're kind of making the case that sales teams have become order takers in a way, and that there's kind of this push and pull happening between sales and marketing. I mean, we're a big hub of discussion around how can sales and marketing better work together. What does the handoff process look like? You know, how can they better serve each other? How can it be more collaborative? And, and you're you're really saying that organizations are relying too much on inbound lead generation, which is largely marketing driven. So why do you believe this is a problem that needs to be fixed? And I mean, how can companies start to balance that inbound and outbound a little more successfully? So it's it's a life cycle thing, right? I mean, when there's when you're new in the game, there's a bunch of low-hanging fruit, you know, whatever it is you go for. And once the low-hanging fruit's gone, then you got to go a little bit higher up the tree and you're not making your numbers. So you end up looking at Facebook ads or, I mean, you, you end up passing numbers and there's no really residual on the quality. So it's a constant battle. I think in 2021, a perfect time to really use both barrels of the shotgun, if you want to use an analogy, is to have marketing go after the ATL. Marketing it can do a great job going after the VP of sales, VP of product, VP of engineering, the VP of whatever it may be, but not with BTL messaging. You know, the best messaging causes curiosity. Here's what's happening. Do you, are you aware of this? Or whatever it may be. Causing curiosity will get that ATL to go, huh. Now, don't expect the ATL to say, yes, please call me. So there's got to be some sort of messaging to the ATL, to those more C-suite executives about, guys, if you want to know more, here's a paper we've done just specifically for VPs of sales, VP of marketing, VP of product. So treat them like VIPs, not like everybody else. You'll get less in your funnel, but the quality will be higher. Same with salespeople. You're going to have to outbound. You know, quite honestly, I wrote the book. I, I hate writing books, <laughs> but I wrote the, I write the book. I wrote the book to solve a problem. And the problem I would see would be, I'd talk to a salesperson a year or so ago. I go, how are you going to do for the year? Oh, okay, I, I got about 80%. Well, how are you going to get the other 20%? Well, I'm going to have to do some outbounding. Oh, how's that going for you? Now, I wrote somebody an email last week. I got to follow up on that. that. That's it. That's the scope of your outbounding. People hate the outbound. Why? Because they fear rejection. They don't want to get rejected. And we all know you're only going to get three out of 100. So you've got to be okay for 97 no's. And not too many people have the fortitude for that. So outbounding has got to be more of an, a science than an art. And the cadences and sequencing and messaging, if you do it right, you're, you're going to be really good. But I saw the problem there with the salespeople, not outbounding, especially to the more senior level executives. They just outbounded to below the line people who wanted a free demo. And then they think they got a lead. So you got to put some more skills, both marketing and sales have got to be a little bit more rifle shot here rather than just going out and see who can hit our website. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some great points. So let's let's dig a little bit deeper into those best practices or, or those tactics, because, I mean, you brought it up earlier around, you know, the LinkedIn connection and, and, you know, the batch and blast LinkedIn message. I mean, I think we're all getting very overwhelmed and in some cases frustrated by that. I mean, I've seen people calling out sales reps, you know, on LinkedIn by sharing their messages. I don't necessarily agree with that approach, but it seems to be a very, a very significant problem that that's happening right now. So let's break down the, you know, what teams are, are getting wrong from a messaging and approach standpoint and what that art and science looks like, because you touched on messaging, cadence, frameworks. So, I mean, if you were to kind of paint a picture of like what people should be thinking about or mapping out, I mean, what would that be? Again, 
you know, if you sell something for 500 bucks a month versus, you know, 500,000 sequencing and cadencing and, and message is going to be different, right? One of the best organizations we've seen, they have what they call their golden nuggets. They take 20 prospects. Here's the 20 people we're going to go after. One company, multiple companies, whatever it is. And they do a two-week cadence, 12 touches. And a touch could be a phone call, a voicemail, a, a social contact, uh, whatever it is. But 12 touches in a two-week window. It is not stalking. It's very effective messaging. And the best messaging creates a story. It continues on. After that two-week window, you take those 20 out, put a new 20. Let that go for two weeks. After two weeks, you take that out, put a new 20 in. Then rinse and repeat. Go back to your first 20. Take the ones out who said no or you're talking to, put some new ones in, come at that. That that cadence, just three groups of 20 or so, takes an hour a day at the most. But it's a very effective, consistent messaging, and rarely do we see that. Good companies that we've interviewed, we interviewed probably two dozen companies for the book, and the good companies had that cadence and sequencing down. Messaging, <laughs> 120 words max. 70% of emails are open up on mobile devices. You're basically going to get one swipe. If you're going to write a novel, no one's going to read it. So 120 words max is the best advice on the messaging because we want to be complete. Oh, and by the way, here's a link. Here's an attachment. This is the first date. Don't tell, don't give them all the stuff about why they should be married to you. Just one step at a time is the best approach and 120 words max. And what we have found, quite frankly, is if you write your prospecting emails on your mobile device, your phone, you're putting it in the same form factor as the person who's going to read it. And your ability to be too verbose or too long just goes away. So, I mean, those are kind of the fun little little tidbits. And as I mentioned earlier, outside of referrals, which is by far the best response, you know, John, I know, John, we should talk. That's a pot without a doubt. After that, make me curious. Make me curious about me, my job, my title, my industry, my company. If you can make me curious, you're going to have me open up the email, which in nine times out of 10 is, is what you really want to get them to do is just open up the email, not just look at the first 10 words and go, not nah, well, bye. Yep. Great point. So, so to your point around attachments and, and calls to action, is it safe to assume that you're very much against the emails that have like 25 links in them? <laughs> What do you think? I mean, no, you know, I, I feel good. I sent you everything. They're never going to read it. You know, I'm a big fan of direction, right? People always yeah. love following direction. John, I've attached this article for you. On the second page, the third, fourth paragraph, I think are very unique to you and your position. What, what, what attachment? What paragraph? Why, why is that unique to me? Causes of curiosity. The chance of them reading it is much higher if you give them direction on what to do, mm. not read this whole thing. No, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Can you give me the cliff notes on it? Yeah, I think that those are some really good points. So it seems like, you know, that that, that provides some good food for thought around how to position your messaging, what to focus on when you're crafting the message. That mobile first approach, I think, is, is very crucial because we're seeing more people use their mobile devices to multitask and, you know, just work at all hours, basically, since most of us are still working at home. But I do want to get into the point around, you know, the use of tools to streamline and automate the process, because I feel like we're seeing a surge in, you know, 
know, prospecting tools, especially through LinkedIn, again, to help sales teams be more efficient. But again, I feel like it's almost like they're falling to the trap of, you know, batching and blasting messages. So I mean, what's your take on these like automated tools? And I mean, how do you balance the authenticity? Some, some are clients. So I got to be careful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, some are really, really good. I mean, really good, right? Um, but it's garbage in, garbage out. Okay. If you put a BTL messaging scheme and you're going after ATLs, it's not going to work. If you go after a whole bunch of, of user buyers and all you do is talk about yourself, you know, we're number one. We're top in the Gartner quadrant. We're number one in the Forrester Wave or, or whatever you do, right? It's all about you. It's all about you. I mean, go to a party. The person starts talking about themselves for 20 minutes. You're looking about where else, where else we want to go. You know, in the early stages, I want to talk about my problem. I want to talk about issues, my challenges, concerns, my gaps. Later on in the sales cycle, I want to be validated that you're number one, you're great, you're super. So I feel better. It's why people read car brochures more after they buy the car than they do before the car because they want to be validated they made their right choice. Please make sure your messaging is how can I make sure I address my prospects' problems? How can I raise questions in their mind? How can I make them curious? Then use the tools to automate that function. The messaging we've seen of companies who are using these tools, I mean, it's great. But, you know, we send out 10,000 emails a day and we have a 0.2 response rate. <laughs> I'm glad you're using the tool, but your messaging wrong. We've got tool companies who are doing great messaging, but they've got antiquated tools. So there's got to be a blend. It's got to be using the tools that are out there that are very effective, very effective, especially some of this AI stuff. Wow, yeah. scary stuff, mm -hmm. right? But it's not going to help you if you're just going to say, hi, my name is, what we do is. Quickly, I'm sure you'd be interested in our stuff. No, I'm not yet. I got some problems that you haven't validated to me. You understand me. Until you can make me feel like you understand me, I'm not going to read your stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, looking at this through the lens of, you know, someone in content and marketing, that's absolutely like, that's the fundamentals of everything yeah. we should be doing. Now, I, I do want to mention that I do have a spot in marketing. My wife <laughs> ran ran her own marketing company. Okay. And up at the altar 14 years ago, the, the pastor was there and he said, ladies and gentlemen, here's Skip and Susan. Sales and marketing, getting together. Who would <laughs> yeah, have we're not all he bad, actually right? Said, he actually said that. <laughs> that's the best. I mean, that said, my son's in marketing, my daughter's in marketing, my daughter, other daughter's in marketing. None of them are in sales. So I guess there's there's some pulls in the marketing Yeah, side. And I mean, I guess that leads to a good follow-up question, right? I mean, what role do you think marketing can or should play in, in helping sales? I mean, because I feel like that messaging needs to be consistent. It needs to be aligned and some way, right? Best companies are where manufacturing and engineering have a two-way communication cycle. Yep. They just don't design it and throw it through a hatch and say, go manufacture it. Best companies have a two-way communication cycle between marketing and sales. It's not marketing works for sales and sales works for marketing. And, you know, we've seen that battle. The best organizations don't sit there and what I call BMWC. They don't bitch, moan, whine, complain about, mm -hmm. you know, we're not getting good leads or we're not, those SQLs, MQLs are terrible. They're not really SQLs and, and whatever it may be. They work together to put the onus on both parties to outcome to the results desired. And typically what we don't see is a good definition of results desired. It's marketing's going to do this, then they're going to throw the lead over and sales isn't following up correctly. They're not qualified. You need to stop it. I mean, we got to get better ground rules up front and what's the end game and work backwards rather than just marketing does its thing, sales does its thing, and somewhere along the line, it's all going to work. As we all know, that doesn't. So the best organizations, we engineer for manufacturability. 
Best organizations, they market for sales ability. And sales understands what specifically it wants from marketing rather than just give me better leads. What, what is better? Right. So the, the best organizations, and that doesn't mean one person has got to be your know, VP of sales marketing or VP of go-to-market or whatever. But if those two people are not aligned and joined at the hip, the organization's going to suffer. And that was the, I mean, Tableau was such a great example. I mean, Kelly was head of sales and Alicia was, was head of marketing. I mean, I probably did as much, not as much, but I probably did about half as much training for the marketing group as I did the sales group. And they all spoke the same language. So they all got trained in, in our stuff, the proactive selling stuff. And everybody knew that was the model for the company. So they, they worked together really, really well. And that, that, that works so well, as you can imagine. So that's what marketing's got to do is, is make sure they're working well with sales and sales has got to make sure they're working with marketing. It's not their job, right. our job. Yeah, I love that. And I think it leads to more productive conversations around what does this experience look like for our, our customers or our, our hopeful customers, right? And that includes the channels and the tactics that are being used. And you talked a little bit about like the, the AI-based tools that are largely used for sales. But I mean, looking yeah. at the bigger ecosystem of the tools, solutions, that are out there, channels that that really present the most opportunity to like resonate with people in new ways. I mean, is there anything that is emerging that you're particularly excited about or? Well, you know, obviously a lot of the, the voice recognition stuff where salespeople can listen in on sales calls and, and coach better. So you got, you know, gong, chorus, you know, those type of sales enablement platforms are getting really, really good where the, the AI platform can listen to what the buyer is saying, listen for those key words, and then instruct the salespeople actually what to say. So you're not dependent upon the salesperson's listening skill sets to go down track A or track B. The AI tool will listen and say, salesperson, use these slides instead of these slides almost instantaneously. So those type of AI things, those presentation skills and selling tools at the point of attack, we're seeing unbelievable AI stuff going after that. And that's, you know, the planning stuff, going after the right market to tools and stuff and so on. But but the tools that can, I find it funny that I'm a $100 million company and 25% of my revenue goes to sales. You know, sales cost of goods sold, sales, you know, by sales and marketing budget, 20 to 25, 30%, sometimes up to 50% in SaaS. And it's okay if that half of my revenue, $50 million or whatever it is, is I have 50% forecast accuracy, 50%. So here's the deals are coming in at the end of the month, end of the quarter, only half come in. And everybody's okay with that. Look how much money you're wasting on your cost of goods sold. I mean, on your uh, customer acquisition costs and your CAC. So any AI tool that can help forecast accuracy early in the funnel to tell my salespeople, work on this, don't work on this because all it is is hope and you have no chance at this. AI tools that can help me at the point of attack and AI tools that can help me with my forecast accuracy, predicting what deals should we work on and we shouldn't work on. Those are the two technologies I see that are really exciting. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. Now, this has been really, really great, Skip. Thank you again so much for taking the time out. Before I let you go, I do want to ask, because we're kind of at this juncture in the new year where a, a lot of folks have reflected on, you know, what they've had to adapt to, new realities, and, and also adding in the layer of, okay, well, what does this mean moving forward for us from an investment standpoint, from a strategic standpoint, even an empowerment standpoint? So looking at this through the lens of sales specifically, you know, what, what are some closing 
closing recommendations or words of wisdom, I guess, that you can share for all of the sales folks that may be listening right now and want to not just ensure their individual success, but their organizational success in the new year. Again, we talked about a lot today, but if you're to kind of boil it down into like a few key action items, what would those be? Obviously, number one, outbound. Your outbound strategies that worked before don't work now because your channels are limited. Fix your outbounding messaging and strategies and cadences because what you're doing right now is not working. Two, change your sales cycles. Your sales processes of 2019 don't work in 2020 and 2021. An example, I listened in on a call where there was a salesperson and the sales manager and the customer, the director of something, the below the line buyer, and the CEO. The CEO is actually on the call. 10 minutes, 12 minutes into the call, the CEO goes, this is perfect. This is great. We got to do this. Let's go. The salesperson, without missing a beat, goes, good. Our next step is to do a demo. When should we schedule that? <laughs> like, no, no. You have the CEO right there on the call saying, let's go. And you're still going through your 2019 sales process. Right. What we're, what we're finding is because of virtual, sales cycles can be cut in half. But no one's changing their sales process. We intro, we present, we demo, we do some more presentation, we float a proposal, I mean, then we, then we harass. And that's the typical process that is not gonna work in 21 because of all this virtual instantaneous. Take advantage of it, cut your sales cycles in half and set that expectation. We got way too many companies who are doing that and getting great results. Excellent, Skip. Well, thanks again so much for taking the time out. It was a real pleasure. We'll include some links in the show notes for folks if they want to learn more about your book, your work, and then hopefully take a hard look at their sales process. Thank you again so much for uh, taking the time <laughs> oh, out. This has been great. You've been, you've been a super question, a great, great interviewer. So thank you for the time. Oh, thanks very much. And of course, to all of you, thank you for taking the time out to join us for today's conversation. If you have any follow-up questions or comments for Skip, we would love to facilitate those conversations. Just drop us a line on Twitter at B2BMX. So hopefully it could lead to possibly a new relationship. As always, if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, frankly, anywhere else. That way you'll get great conversations like this as soon as they're available. Thanks everyone. We'll see you next time.